Let's read Proverbs 11.30 together. Can we do that? Here we go. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Look over at Psalm 126 and verse number 5. We'll read verses 5 and 6. It says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so the title of the series will begin tonight, last series of the year, on our Rooted in Christ theme. And uh, not last but definitely not least, last because we needed to prepare to get ourselves here, but this is the end game for a Christian. This is the fruit of a Christian And it's this, persuading for the Savior, and the title of the sermon tonight is this, Bearing the Seed, Bearing the Seed. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, you didn't leave us here just so that we'd get up every morning and read our Bible and pray and be good Christians. Lord, while that's important, we need to do that. You left us here to share our faith with the world around us. Yes, Lord, in the way we live, the way we talk, and the way we behave around others, but, Lord, also with our, our words. Help us, Lord, to be winsome, to be persuasive, so that a lost world around us can find the light of the gospel. And not only find their hope in, in eternity, but, Lord, also find their way through such a difficult world, a dark dirty, sinful world. Help us to be that light, not only that leads them to salvation, but Lord, helps them to find baptism, helps them to find discipleship, and Lord, gives them a a hope that so many around us are lacking. And so over the next several weeks, as we look at this idea of persuading for the Savior, would you help us, Lord, to um, take this seriously? Lord, I look around, I, I think around the auditorium, those who are here, and some, there was a distinct time in their Christian life where they chose to become soul winners. Others, Lord, here need to make that decision. Some need to have that fire rekindled. But Lord, may um, this series of sermons, and maybe even this sermon tonight, encourage someone to take their witness a little more serious. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to not only have the desire to do it, but have the method to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, Proverbs 11.30 says that uh, he that winneth souls is wise. What does that phrase, winneth souls, mean? Winneth souls is wise. Winneth souls is wise. This carries with it the idea of persuading or convincing someone else's soul. He that causeth a soul to be persuaded of truth is wise. Um, What does it mean to lead someone to the point of salvation? What does it mean to lead someone to the point of salvation? Is it just that you meet some some Joe or, or Susie on the street, and you give them an express lane version of the gospel? And you rush them down to the end and you get them to bow their head and repeat some cookie cutter prayer. Is that, is that winning souls? Can I tell you that when I was a younger 
more zealous, less knowledgeable Christian, my idea of soul winning was how many people can I get to pray the sinner's prayer today? And I'd come back and say, I got 15 people saved today. Well, I may have got 15 people saved, but Jesus didn't save any of them. (laughs) Um, Getting someone to pray a prayer is not the goal. Everybody hear me? Getting someone to put their faith in Christ is the goal. And uh, I am more than willing to spend 25 minutes with somebody and walk away and say, they're just not ready. Than I am to manipulate someone into praying a prayer so I can walk away and say, I got me one more. Well, that's not soul winning. That's not winning a soul. Um, For Christ to save someone, they must be persuaded in their minds. They must be moved in their heart. Let me say that again. They must be persuaded in their mind. And they must be moved in their heart to a place where they put their total faith and trust in Christ as their way to heaven. So there there are two aspects of this here. There's the mind, the head... And there's the heart. Um, uh, whose responsibility is it to save a soul? Whose job is it to do the saving? It's the Lord's. It's the Holy Spirit's. It's God's. It's Jesus's. You make a case, it's all theirs. They work in tandem, don't they? Uh, they work in tandem to do the saving. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and the Holy Spirit draws people to a place of salvation. So, is it my job... To save anybody. It's not. It's God's job to do the saving. Uh, however, it is uh, uh, whose responsibility is it to persuade someone to let God save their soul? That's our job. It's our job to persuade someone. Now, God's going to save them, but it's my job and it's your job to persuade them with the truth so that they will be saved. In Revelation, after the halfway point, God sends his angels to proclaim the saving gospel in the sky. Now, do you ever stop and ask yourself this question? Why doesn't God just do that now? Why not just send the angels down and let them proclaim the story of the gospel in the sky now? Wouldn't more people get saved if the angels would just fly around and say, put your faith in Jesus, he's the only way to heaven? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great to walk outside and see an angel flying around the sky proclaiming Christ? Do you know why he hasn't given the angels that responsibility? Because he's given it to me and you. And the angels can proclaim it, but the angels have not experienced it. You with me tonight? You, if you're saved, have experienced the redeeming hand of God. And that ought to cause you to be way more effective in persuading people to be saved than some angel. Uh, and to that angel, it's all just theory. And by the way, people would get used to seeing the angels fly around and they'd come up with some scientific explanation and then they would dismiss it. But there's nothing they can do uh, about your testimony when it's clear the gospel has changed your life. I believe it was Madeline O'Hare that worked hard to get the prayer and 
and Bible uh, out of the public school. And, uh, and Madeline O'Hare was an atheist. And she said, her words were, there is no argument I have against a changed life. No argument. I cannot debate when someone's life has been radically transformed with the gospel. And here you are, the blood of Jesus Christ has reached out, it's washed away your sins, it's given you, it's made you a new creature, you're born anew in Christ, you're walking down this new path, God is beginning to take these habits away from you, you're becoming cultured in Christ, sanctified in Christ, and your neighbors are watching, your family is watching, your coworkers are watching, even your enemies are watching, and you have a golden opportunity when they come up to you and say, when, man, what in the world has changed about you? Let me tell you what's changed about me. Jesus is what's changed about me. He saved my soul. And boy, what a powerful impact your testimony has to persuade the lost to be saved. So to recap, it's God's job to save the soul. It is my job and your job to persuade someone to let God save their soul. Please listen to me now. Paul did not just leave it up to God to save the lost. Paul was the one that reminded the church of Corinth that it was God who did the saving or God who gave the increase. Everybody understand that? Some water, uh, some plant, some water. Who gives the increase? God gives the increase. That means God does the saving. That's what that means. It's God's responsibility to save. Now, Paul, Paul noted that it was God's job to do the saving, but it was his job to get serious about the business of planting the seeds or bearing the seed and casting the seed and watering the seed so that God very well could give the increase. If the seed is not thrown out there, if the seed is not water, there is no increase to be reaped. Boy, it's not just enough to say the world will get saved with or without me. My friend, that is a Calvinistic point of view. Well, I don't need to give the gospel. Because if God's going to draw someone to repentance, then he's going to do it whether I do it or not. Uh, that, that would be the Calvinistic tenet of irresistible grace. And here, we don't believe in the tenet of irresistible grace. Whether or not God's grace reaches you is up to you and up to the, the people outside the walls of the church. And, and listen, there is going to be somebody somewhere in the world today who is going to die and go to hell because Richard Lejeune was selfish in that moment and did not take the time to give them the gospel and they did not hear of the grace of God in that window of time. And that's not just to on me that's on you too you understand that god's grace would have reached him if i'd have been obedient god's grace would have saved him if i had done my part but we're so busy going about life and doing what we want that god cannot use us to save the souls of the lost now here he is telling the church that god used him to plant here he is telling the church, it's God gives the increase, but Paul took his role very seriously. For that matter, all of Christ's disciples took it seriously. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16 with me. Hold Psalm 126, if you will. We'll come back to that a couple of times throughout uh, the message. Maybe put a piece of paper in there. It's going to be a little bit, but we'll make our way back to Psalm 126 eventually. Matthew chapter 16. Now, Paul took his role seriously. He uh, took three missionary journeys, and uh, he was stoned to death at one point. He uh, spent a night and day in the deep, and, well, you can read about all of Paul's encounters of the, the, the 
the tribulation and trial and the beating. Uh, he was bitten by a serpent. Uh, he, the guy just was put through the ringer and he took a beating and he just kept on going, uh, took a licking and kept on ticking. Is that how it goes um, uh, for the Lord? And uh, didn't care, didn't give up and just said, Satan, throw your best shot at me and I'm just going to get up and I'm going to keep going. In fact, when they stoned him to death, God sent him back and said, you're not done. Get back up and go back to work. And so uh, uh, that's what he did. But it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul. It was all of the disciples that were out there doing this work. In fact, there's a book written entitled Fox's Book of Martyrs. That is a, a long, long book. And my parents encouraged me to read it when I was a teenager. I, I read most of it, skimmed some of it. But these people who were so devoted at persuading the world around them with the gospel that God used them in such a, a, a profound way and they ended up being killed for their faith. Matthew chapter 16, look at verse number 18. I want to make this point about our, our, our duty, our responsibility of being persuaders abundantly clear tonight as we set the stage uh, in the coming weeks for this series. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, a, a verse many of us are familiar with. Uh, Jesus says, And I say unto thee thou, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, a verse that's very misunderstood in Scripture, but a verse that really isn't all that complicated. The name Peter means Pedro or uh, or Pe- Petros, rather. Pedro is the Spanish name. Petros, which means little pebble or small stone. Paul says, uh, uh, Jesus says, thou art a little stone, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, who is it? That builds the church. Who is it that builds the church? Well, specifically, who's speaking in Matthew 16, 18? Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. Who is he going to use to build the church in this verse? Peter. Now, Peter represents us. And by the way, Peter would be used in a way that very few have been used to build the church. Peter would stand up and preach at Pentecost, 3,000 saved and baptized. Who did the saving the day of Pentecost? The Lord Jesus did. Who did he use to proclaim the message? Peter. You see the teamwork here? I want you to imagine that you have a, uh, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, okay? Um, um, who, uh, who builds the church? Christ builds the church. Who did he use to build the church? Well, here he was, said he was going to use Peter. All right. So, who is the master builder of the church? Jesus Christ. He is the master builder. And you know what Peter was in this verse? He was the hammer or the tool in the hand of the builder. Just like I am. Just like you are. We are the hand. Now, if you watch, if you watch a craftsman or a carpenter uh, or, or a construction worker that's really good with his tools, he picks his tool that he's comfortable with, that he knows well, and he holds that in his hand, and that tool becomes an extension of his arm, of his body. And here he is doing the work, and he's using the tool to get it done. He and the tool are in unison. They're tied together. They have 
have become one. At the end of the day, he sets down the hammer and he looks at the work that his brain was able to do with that tool in his hand. And the master builder gets the credit, not the hammer. The hammer does not get the credit. Because the truth is, that that, that master carpenter could go down to Home Depot or Lowe's or uh, to Mac Tools or whatever the, the tool place would be that, that sells the best and the finest. And he could get another one just like it or even better than it. The tool does not get the credit. The master builder gets the credit, but the master builder cannot do the work without the tool. You understand? How many of you here have ever tried to nail a nail with a screwdriver? Doesn't work real well, does it? Yesterday, I was uh, walking around the church building and just making sure things were tidied up before I went home for the day. And the, um, uh, the plates that go over the electrical covers over by our new coffee area were not put back on uh, because of the work the painters were doing. And so I, I was putting those back on and I needed a flathead screwdriver. And let me tell you, um, there are a million flathead screwdrivers on this property, but when you need one, you can't find one. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, my toolbox at home is the same way. It's like they know I'm coming for them and they all go hide. And so I went and I found a, um, a, uh, a, a razor blade, and I'm trying to use the razor blade to turn the flathead screwdriver, and I just about cut my hand. You say, well, how did you do that? I'm not a master builder, okay? Uh, but I was using the wrong tool to get the job done. And so I, I was desperate, and I'm looking everywhere. I thought, well, maybe there's one in the bookstore. And I found one in the bookstore, and I had a shouting fit for God right in the bookstore after 20 minutes of looking for a flathead screwdriver. And you know what? What uh, what took me a, a couple of minutes to get one flathead screw in with a razor blade, I got all the rest of them put in in half the time because I had the right tool. I had the right tool. Now, are you an effective tool in the hand of God when it comes to your persuading others with the gospel? Are you? Are you a good tool in the hand of God? Or does God say, you know what? You're not ready. You're not equipped. You don't know how. I'm going to lay you down and I'm going to pick another tool that's able uh, to do the job. I had a pastor tell me one time. And, uh, and he said this, he said, you know, we preach about soul winning in our churches and people go get out and they try it for a couple of weeks and it's awkward and it's weird and they don't know how and they go out and they have some awkward experience in the community and they fail and they throw in the towel and yeah, they ought to do it, but they're not going to do it. So I'm just not going to preach on it. And I said, whoa, well, hold on a minute here. How about we take the time to adequately and properly train our people to share their faith. Now, I understand that I could stand up here and preach on this every single service for the next 20 years, and some of you just are not going to do it. I understand that, and I've come to grips with that. And I'm still going to love you, even if you never, ever take a track and share the gospel. And I think God still has a plan for you, and you can still do things to move the gospel forward less effectively, but nonetheless do it. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't preach it, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't take the effort to do it. Now, uh, I, what I want to make sure we're looking at here today is that if we're going to be that tree planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit, there is the fruit that the Spirit brings forth in our life as we yield, and there is the fruit that we bring forth as a Christian, and that fruit is another 
Christian. He is the master builder. He brings the increase. He gets the credit. But we must be diligent and zealous in our work to give forth the gospel. We must work as though it all depends on us. And we must pray and glorify as though it all depends on him. Let me give you some verses this evening about this idea of persuasion. Before we go through the verses, throw that slide up there for me if you could. Let me define persuasion for you. Persuasion. Guiding vital truths around another's mental roadblocks. Guiding vital truths around another's mental roadblocks. When I go out and I share my faith, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out where they are and what they believe. Once I have figured out where they are and what they believe about about eternity, then what I'm going to do is try to guide them around the roadblocks that are keeping them from the truth, okay? And by the way, I'm speaking to their head, and I'm expecting the Holy Spirit of God to work on their heart. Because I can't change their heart. I can only try to convince their head. But this ultimately comes down to a heart decision that the Holy Spirit of God must draw them into. The Holy Spirit is giving me the words to say on the inside of my mind as they pour out of my mouth. And then the Holy Spirit is knocking on their heart's door saying, listen to him, listen to him. That's truth. It's the scripture. It's truth. I'm persuading the head and God is working to move in the heart. But I must do my part to persuade. I must know my stuff. I must be convincing with the gospel. Acts 17. Acts 17. I I believe the way I have this set up, yes, we're going to work left to right again through our Bibles. And uh, this should be, um, all these verses should be relatively close to each other. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 2 down through verse 6. That way you get the uh, context of the passage. I'll give you a moment to find it. Acts 17 verse 2. Most of my message tonight is going to be introduction. Look at verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. If you mark in your Bible, underline that phrase, reasoned with them. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, <coughs> excuse me, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, or of the chief women many of them, a whole lot of them. Verse 6, but the Jews which believed not. So this is a matter of the head. Paul is speaking, reasoning to their heads. The Spirit of God is working in their heart. Many believe from the heart, but then there are a group that do not believe. But the Jews which believe not, verse 5, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, so they're going to rent a mob, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, where they were staying, and sought to bring them out of the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren out of the city crying, crying, these have turned the world upside down 
are come hither also. Now, who is doing the saving? Christ was doing the saving. God and the Holy Spirit was working in their heart. But they could not see, those that believed not, could not see God doing the work. You know who they saw? They saw Paul and they saw Silas doing the work here, preaching the truth. And, and they rejected the Spirit of the Lord. But uh, but not everyone did. Many were saved and, and they tried to arrest him. And what was the accusation? These men have turned the world Upside down. Ideologically, they are convincing the world that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Turn over to Acts chapter 18 and verse number 4. Should just be a chapter over, 18 verse 4. It says, and he reasoned, speaking of Paul, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath. Read that next phrase with me. Ready? And persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. What did he do? He persuaded. He guided vital truths around their mental roadblocks. He sat down with them. He found out where they were and what they believed. And he reasoned with them. He convinced them. He persuaded them. Chapter 19, verse 8. Chapter 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of how long? Wow. And what was he doing for three months? Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Disputing and persuading. He spent three months going into the synagogue at the gathering, gatherings, sitting down with the parchments, and he was disputing with them. Uh, uh, people would bring and say, well, what about this, Paul? And Paul would say, well, let me counter you with this truth bomb from scripture and let me persuade those of you who are on the fence between Judaism and Christianity that Christ is the answer. He persuaded them. Look at Acts chapter 19 verse 26. Just look a little further down. Moreover, ye see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but among all uh, throughout all Asia, that this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people saying that uh, they uh, be no gods uh, which are made with hands. So Paul had gone around and convinced them that these stone gods that are being bowed down to this pagan worship is, is, is false. Paul had done the work of persuading them. Now, again, I want to make sure I emphasize who did the persuading. It was Paul that did the persuading. Who did the saving? Jesus did the saving. Everybody with me? Who did the persuading? Paul. Who did the saving? Jesus. Paul did the work of taking the truth and showing it to them and so that their minds could be convinced the Holy Spirit of God was working on their hearts and Jesus Christ and his blood saved them. Acts chapter 28 and verse 23. Acts chapter 28 and verse number 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded, mark that word, expounded and testified. He expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. So he's using the scriptures to expound. You see this? He's sitting down with people that know the, the Old Testament. 
and he's using uh, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, and the prophets. That would be uh, the, the books of the kings and the books of the prophets. And he's convincing them through these that Jesus is the manifestation or, or the answer to all things. But not only did he expound, he testified. What does it mean to testify? That means to share how this has personally affected your life. Now, um, a little tidbit here for you on this persuading for the Savior. The most powerful, one of the most powerful things you can use in convincing someone else that they need Jesus is to tell them what happened to you. Tell them what happened to you. Now, let me uh, share with you some mistakes I have found people make when it comes to sharing their testimony. They, they'll go on and on about the life of sin they lived. I was a reveler. I was a drunk. I was a fornicator. I was living in the belly of the devil. And I was following the devil. And I was a hellion. And, and Jesus came along and someone told me about Jesus and he saved me. And now I am the greatest Christian walking the planet. Does anybody see a problem in that testimony? It's all about you. Okay, here's some advice I want to give you when it comes to your testimony. Talk a little bit about how you were before you got saved. I mean, a little bit. A little bit. Be very vague. Do not glorify sin, sex, or Satan. Okay? A little bit. Talk a lot about Jesus. Okay? Who gave you the gospel, what they said, and then talk a little bit about how your life has changed on the back end. Now, when you make it a little bit about you and a little bit about you and a lot about Jesus, who's your testimony about? It's about Jesus. All right. So let's say you were saved out of a rebel party lifestyle. You can say something along the lines of, yeah, back in in 1943, that would be Brother Mike's testimony. Okay, maybe 1923, maybe 1823. I don't know how far back it goes, but he goes back a long ways. All right, long, long ways. In fact, uh, uh, what was Noah's favorite color, Brother Mike? Do you remember? I was just wondering if, it, you know, if, if maybe you forgot. But, um, uh, but um, uh, back, back in, in the year, uh, I, I was living a party lifestyle. I was in my 20s. And, and again, this isn't going to be everybody's testimony. But I was living a party lifestyle, and I was hopeless and, and lost without Christ. And, and one day I stumbled into a church service a friend invited me to. And I sat on the pew, and, and I heard the gospel preached. And, and, and what is the gospel? Well, I knew that I was a sinner. I, I, it was explained to me clearly that I was a sinner. And I I had broken God's laws and I knew that and it was explained to me that I deserved to go to hell because of my sin and, and boy I knew that I was broken in my sin and I needed help and then they told me that Jesus Christ had come and died on the cross and uh, uh, Christ died for us the Bible says and he didn't just die for some generic group of people he died for me and in that day I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ I called on his name and he took away my sin and he, he set me free from the bondage of sin and boy Every since then, I have found new freedom in Christ. You know what that testimony screams? It screams the gospel. And Paul used this tactic all the time, did he not? Paul told his testimony over and over and over again in Scripture. Boy, I was a, a bad man. I was the chiefest of sinners on my way to throw people in, in jail over in Damascus. And the light knocked me off my horse. And, and I realized that I was uh, pushing against uh, uh, Christ and His calling on me. And, and I went and sat in a room and, and I put my faith in Jesus to save me. 
And, and now Jesus is using me. He used the tactic of his testimony. This is how we persuade people. He expounded the scriptures. He shared his testimony. And boy, the Holy Spirit of God was able to use that and save thousands of people through the life of Paul. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Now, if you don't have 2 Corinthians 5, 11 memorized yet, I encourage you to memorize this verse. Because this verse really ought to be the soul winner's mantra. Look here. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. What is the terror of the Lord? There's going to be a great white throne judgment one day where millions and billions of people are drugged to the edge of, of, of eternity and tossed into the lake of fire forever. Do you all understand what I just said? For some of you, that's going to be your relatives. You know, I, I don't say this cold-heartedly. I say this with a broken heart. I believe my grandmother is falling through hell right now. She was witnessed to and witnessed to and witnessed to, and she resisted and resisted and resisted. And one day I'm going to have to sit at the great white throne judgment. I'm going to have to watch my grandmother give an account to God, and I'm going to have to watch her be drugged by the angels to the edge of eternity and thrown into the lake of fire. And I'm going to have tears streaming down my cheeks because I prayed from her for her from the age I was four all the way up until she died. Twenty plus years I prayed for her, and she died without Christ. My neighbors, your neighbors, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If I could install an elevator in this church building that only went down and back up, and that elevator were to take us down into the center of the earth where most likely hell is, and let's say we were able to layer that elevator with so much glass and, 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 and make it such a cooling chamber that, that fires of hell could not touch you. But you could look out and you could see the horrors of hell. And I could lower us down one at a time into hell and see just how much God hates sin and those that reject his love. And we could go into hell and we could see the people as they scream in torment and pain and they, they gnash their teeth. They cry out for water. They, they're, 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 they're plagued by their memories of their chances to be saved. How they denied their creator. And they're there. And they're hopeless. And, and, they're, and, and they'll be there for all eternity. And I could take us down there and bring us up one at a time. It would, it would totally revolutionize our church. It would totally revolutionize our lives. We would leave this building with a pocket full of tracks. And a heart that was wanting to persuade anybody and everybody that would listen to us. We wouldn't care about what they thought about us. We wouldn't care about how much money we made. We wouldn't care about the car we drive. We wouldn't care about promotions at work. We would care about one thing and one thing only, and that would be the souls of men and women around us. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Hey, we take our Bibles, we take our tracts, we take the good news, and we walk up to anybody and everybody that will listen to us, and we say, my friend, repent, come to the Lord, put your faith in Jesus before it's eternally too late. Let them label us a kook. Let them label us a whack. Let them label us peculiar. But my friend, we're concerned about their souls. 
Why do we persuade men? Why do we take the time to learn the gospel? Why do we take the time to go out on Tuesdays and Saturdays? Why do we spend so much money on gospel tracts and sending thousands and thousands of dollars to missionaries around the globe? Why do we spend so much money on bus repairs and buying and fixing buses and, and, and bringing boys and girls in from broken neighborhoods? Because we know the terror of the Lord, but we also know the love of the Lord. And we know that He wants to save them if we will do our part to share the love of Jesus with them. Jesus didn't just command the gospels to pers- uh, rather the apostles to persuade lost sinners for the savior. He commanded all of his disciples to do so. How many of you here tonight, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you here tonight want desperately to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Boy, I hope that's all of us. And it is on you and I to take the gospel and persuade men and women around us. Now, you can do it in a way that's wrong, and you can do it in a way that's damaging, and you can do it in a way that's hurtful, and you can do it in a way that does more damage than good. But, my friend, we must put out the effort to learn to share Jesus with the world around us. Now, I have three thoughts that are on your your bullets in there to fill out, and we're going to move through these relatively quick, but I want to make sure that we understand the importance of bearing the seed. What does it mean to bear the seed? Well, number one, notice we must bear the seed in our heart. We must bear the seed in our heart. Go back to Psalm 126 where we began this evening and look at verse number 5. The Bible says there, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Now to be honest to the passage... Psalm 126, 5 and 6, this is not a soul-winning passage. This is a passage written to the Israelites that are in slavery. So I'm making an application. All right, I want everybody to understand here. I'm making an application. This is not an interpretation of the passage. This is an application. But I believe it's an application that can be found in other areas of the Bible. They that sow in tears. Why do you cry? Why, do you, why would a person cry? Now, some people can, can cry at the drop of a hat. They're, they're good at just turning on the tears and, and fake crying to get their way, maybe out of a speeding ticket or, or, or out of a bad situation. But, you know, I, I'm not able to just turn on the tears. Sometimes I wish I could just turn on the tears. Uh, but I'm not able to do that. If I'm crying and there are tears leaving the tear ducts in my eyes, running down my cheek, or I'm even misty-eyed, it's because it's coming from right here. How many of you with me on that? If you're crying, it's coming from right here. Okay. Uh, you're bearing the seed in your heart. Right next down, right down next to this, or maybe below it, write down the word zeal. Zeal. I've shared this before, but it, it, it bears being shared here. I knew a lady in one of the church ministries I worked in who became so burdened over the lost, she could not even drive her car down the road without causing uh, herself, uh, putting herself and others in harm's way. She'd pull up to a red light. And she'd look at the car next to her, and she'd see uh, uh, someone in the car next to her. And this thought would go through her mind, that person next to me, although I don't know them, they are an eternal soul, and that soul will live in heaven and hell. And statistically, they're probably lost, and statistically, they're probably going to die and go to hell. And she'd become so burdened 
for them that tears would begin to run down her cheeks to such a level she couldn't see to drive and she'd have to pull her car over the side of the road and, 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 and weep with great angst and great fear over their lost soul because she was so burdened for them. And I have to tell you tonight that there's some of you here, we'll get into the next point of the message in a moment, but there's some of you here, you've got a great knowledge of the gospel. You could in a moment's notice wake up in the middle of the night and sit down with a stranger and lead them to the Lord and you'd be comfortable doing it and you know how to articulate it and share it. Some of you here are on that level but the truth is you've been saved for so long it's grown calloused in your heart it's cold in your heart and you cannot, uh, you, you, you will not uh, share the seed until you first bear the seed and you must first bear the seed down in the emotions of your heart. Now some of you here tonight you're really passionate about other things that are not gospel related. You're passionate about sports and your football team, your baseball team. You're passionate, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, passionate, uh, about, um, uh, some hobby of yours or, uh, some, a trend that you're on or some book you're reading or, or, or some, uh, uh, friendships that you have or social media group that you're a part of. And boy, you have no problem sitting and, and going on and on and on with others about that. But when somebody wants you to, 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 to go out on Tuesdays or on Saturdays and share the gospel, all of a sudden, oh, well, you know what, I, I think I'm busy. I don't think I can. You know, when I was an outreach pastor in, in Maryland, one of the things that used to drive me nuts is um, we'd have Tuesday night soul winning. And we had 30, 40 people show up. It was a large church. We had 30, 40, sometimes 50 people show up. And that's a pretty good number. Most, very few churches in America have 30, 40, 50 people show up. In fact, in a week's time, we'd average about 100 going out soul winning every week. For a church that runs 750, 800 people, that's a lot of folks. That's a pretty good percentage. But I have to tell you what would drive me crazy is our, our Christian school would schedule a makeup basketball game on Tuesday night. And we'd have 30 or 40 we'd average on Tuesday night for soul winning. There'd be 300 people in that gym who were associated with our ministry, that for some reason the previous Tuesday night were too busy to go out, but could somehow make it to a stupid basketball game. Now, I love basketball, and I play basketball, and I enjoy basketball, and I coached basketball at that ministry. So when I use the term stupid basketball game, I don't mean that it's a waste of time because there's a time and place for sports and Christian school sports and it it teaches a whole lot of good. But my goodness, in a hundred years, nobody's going to know who won that game that happened that night. But I'll tell you what will matter, matter the souls that were witness to that night. And boy, we'd have, uh, we'd have, uh, soccer, little league soccer for the church kids uh, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., and you'd see the parking lot fill up for the parents to go sit in a field and watch these little kids run around in a group, and the ball of dust fly around, and the ball goes squirting down the field. But the next Saturday after the league was over, we'd have soul winning, and we'd have five, ten people show up. Well, well where was the 60 adults that go to our church that sat at the field and watched the soccer game when, it, when we were doing something that really matters? Can I tell you why? They're passionate about their kids, but they're not passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, they're going to get to heaven, and they're going to stand at the at the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to look God in the eye. And I don't know if God's going to question them on them or not, but I wonder if God won't look at them and say, how come you had time for soccer? How come you had time for basketball? How, time, how come you had time to go shopping? How come you had time for that weekend trip? How come you had time for everything else uh, in your life, but you didn't have time to show up and go out, go out soul winning? 
Hey, um, uh, but, but God, you don't understand. I was the captain of my basketball team. And God's going to look down and say, so what? How many people are in heaven because you were the captain of your basketball team? We're talking about bearing the seed. The seed is God's word. And God's word makes a difference. But if we're not willing to bear it passionately and have a burning fire in our heart, a zeal that's strong there, boy, it just doesn't matter. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 20 in verse number 8. Jeremiah chapter 20 in verse number 8. Here we find a very discouraged prophet in Jeremiah. Look at verse 8. It says, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak uh, any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was worried with, uh, weary with forbearing, and I could not stay, for I, I had heard the defaming of many. Fear on every side. Uh, 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 report, say they, and we will report it. And all my fa- uh, uh, familiars watched uh, for my halting, saying, Preadventure he will be enticed, and, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with with me is a mighty terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion uh, uh, shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous and seest the reins of the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Boy, Jeremiah was discouraged. He had gone out and he had preached the truth of God's word and he had been reviled he had been mocked, he had been put down he had gospel tracts ripped up, he had them balled up and thrown in his face, uh, he had people uh, uh, who maybe were even uh, uh, spitting at him and kicking at him and swinging at him and, 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 and mocking him and threatening him and Jeremiah was discouraged and he said, boy why am I going to keep doing this, I'm wasting my time and Jeremiah said the word of God became like a, a, a fire in my bones that was eating me alive and I could not stay, I had to share the truth with somebody I had to open up my mouth and preach. You know why? Because he had it in his heart to proclaim and persuade, uh, uh, bear the seed for the Savior, and it began in his heart. Number two, notice, we must bear the seed in our head. We must bear the seed in our head. Now, right down below that, so we had you write zeal down below number one. Write down below number two the word knowledge. Knowledge. You all know what easy believism is? How many of you here have uh, a good familiarity with the term easy believism? Let me show you what easy believism looks like, all right? In my early soul winning years, I was probably a little bit guilty of this. Brother Mark, come up here a minute. Let's say Brother Mark's walking down the road, and I stop Brother Mark, and the conversation goes like this. How you doing, sir? What's your name? What's your name? Mark, good. Hey, anybody ever tell you about how to go to heaven? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Uh, there's four things you need to know about how to get to heaven. All right, really simple. And when I'm done, you walk away from here, and, and you, you'll know you're going to have one day. The first one is, yeah, well, hold on, just listen, okay? Don't say anything. Number one, uh, you need to know that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You ever done anything wrong? Of course you have. You're a sinner. Okay, number two. I never do anything wrong. Don't lie. No, that's sin. Okay. Number two. The second thing you have to understand is that God puts a penalty on your sin. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Wages is a price, a, a, a price tag, a paycheck. Death is hell. So the price of doing wrong or breaking God's law is hell. According to the Bible, I deserve to go to hell. You deserve to go to hell. You with me? You you tracking? Okay, good. Number three. 
The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, uh, that God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know who Jesus is? You know he died on the cross? You know he died for you? You know that he died so that you don't have to go to hell? Great. Number four. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. According to that verse, you're a whosoever. You're an anybody. Anybody fits this verse. So if Mark shall call upon the name of the Lord, Mark shall be saved. Rescued. You go to heaven. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer. Put your faith in Jesus and you go to heaven. Bow your head. Bow your head. Say this right here. Say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a save, sinner. My soul. save my soul. Take me to heaven. Take me to heaven. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what that is? That's easy believism. Now, he's never even heard of the gospel, and I just rushed him through it in about three minutes. Is there much of a chance he actually got saved? Probably not. Probably not. Um, I have done more damage than I have good. Because he can walk away from me with this false idea for the rest of his life he's going to heaven. Because I did not persuade him. But you know what I get to do? I get to go back to church and tell Pastor David and tell Pastor Lejeune, I led someone to the Lord. Can I share that in church with everybody? Now, there's a lot of people out there, they're super zealous with the gospel. But boy, they really don't know what they're doing. Now, I'd rather you be zealous and go tell everyone than have the knowledge and not tell anyone. But my friend, the goal is to be zealous, get the knowledge, and then put them both together. To bear the seed in your heart. And then to get the knowledge in your head. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 15. I'm almost done. 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 15. The Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, So there's that first element, bearing the seed in your heart. You have to have a heart that's pure. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's that idea of being terrified of the Lord and what he's going to do to the lost. You're going to share it to them with meekness and fear. You know you're handling their eternality in your hands. There is a fear there, and you're going to do it with great carefulness or Meekness. Turn over to Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen. That should just be a few books to the left there. Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen. A verse we hear commonly in church. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, here's what I'll say here. Do you understand the gospel? In such a way that you could witness to the average person that you meet on the street, in the coffee shop, at the mechanic, at a family reunion. Do you know the gospel clear enough where you could take them from where they are and take them mentally where they need to be and the spirit of God can save their soul, work on their heart? If you don't, I'm not here to throw any stones at you, but I am here to tell you, you need to work on it. You need to work on it. I had a lady in one of the soul winning clubs I ran back in Maryland. Her name was Rose. And uh, Rose was probably in her mid-20s. She was very introverted and backwards. 
uh, a very, very sweet girl, and she signed up to take the soul winner's class with her husband, and her, her, her and her husband came in, and, and uh, they sat there, and, and, uh, and we're going around the room, and we, in the first week, sharing our names and a little bit about ourselves, and Rose came up to me afterwards, and she said, Pastor, I barely even got through the, my name is. She said, I don't like to, to talk. I don't like to, uh, I, I, hardly, I hardly even open up to my husband. She said, it, I, I'm here because I know by the scriptures I'm supposed to share my faith. But, but even me talking to you right now, my heart is racing, my blood pressure is high, and, and I just don't think I can do this. And I said, well, Rose, what do you do for work? And she said, well, I'm a cashier at the local grocery store. And I said, well, well Rose, your first day on the job, were you nervous? She said, oh, you have no idea how nervous I was. I was terrified, just the strangers coming up. And I said, are you, are you scared now? And she said, no, I've, I've gotten past that. And she said, I've learned the cash register and, and I've learned the, the, the rules of, the, of, of my job and sort of the, the procedures and all that. And, and I can even look a customer in the eye and ask him how their day's going and I can get by and I'm okay. I said, you know what the difference is between where you were your first day and where you are now? I said, it comes down to one word, practice. Practice. Now, you will learn how to do that which matters to you. You will learn how to do it. If you say, well, I just can't share my faith because I just don't know how, that is a very bad excuse. We're, not only are we commanded to do it, we're, here we're commanded to be able to give an answer of the hope that lieth in us. We must bear the seed in our head. Is it a fire that's burning in your heart? Is it something that you think about in your head? I find myself regularly thinking through all sorts of ways that are new, uh, all sorts of angles, rather, that are new, that I can present the gospel. Oh, the same old message, but from a new angle. Not just so I can have more preaching material, but while I'm out soul winning, I can get more. By the way, I love going soul winning with Brother Mark and Brother Owens and Brother John and Brother Kyle and Brother Okai and any man in the church that will go out soul winning with me. Listen, I love listening to my wife witness. You know why? Because they're going to use different angles to get Pastor Mike, Pastor David. They're going to use different angles to get the gospel out to people. And I'm going to go, wow, I never thought of that before. And I can add that to my arsenal as a tool to help bring somebody to the Lord. Number three, lastly, we must bear the seed in our hands. In our hands. Go over to Luke chapter 8, verse 4. We'll finish up here. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 4. Now, we began the year in Luke 8 in this very passage. But we're going to look at the passage a little bit differently tonight. We focused on the soil of the heart when we began here. But I want to change uh, 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 sort of our perspective here. And I want you to think of it this way. The sower is the soul winner. The sower is the soul winner. Now, with that in mind, let's read from verse 4 down through verse 8. The sower is the one giving the gospel to the world around them. Look at Luke 8, verse 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. This is a soul winner with a satchel full of seed. And he sowed some, uh, and as he sowed rather, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock and, and, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit in hundredfold. You know, I've gone out soul winning before and I've uh, given out a gospel track and I've had uh, someone ball it up and throw it on my face. I think of an apartment complex. Angel and I were doing some door knocking in, uh, in uh, suburbia, uh, Baltimore. 
and uh, we knocked on this guy's door. Uh, it was an apartment hallway with like four floors. We knocked on this guy's door and he didn't answer. So we stuck the track in his door and we went down to the next landing and the guy comes out. He had to been 300 pounds. He didn't have a shirt on and he balls up the track and he comes out cussing at us. Can't even see us. We're a floor below him. Who put this bleeping piece of bleep on my bleeping door? And I came around the corner. I said, hello, sir. We're out from the church. Just want to invite you and tell you how, tell you how Jesus can save you. He balls it up. And brother Eric, if I'm lying, uh, may God strike me dead. He threw it at me. He tried to hit me in the face with it. And I had to play dodgeball with it. And, and I got in front of my wife and I said, he said, you better leave or I'm calling the police. I said, go ahead and call the police. I said, constitutionally, I have every right to be here. You can't make me leave. I'm not at your door anymore. I'll make note you don't want to sit at your door, and I won't come back. But I said, sir, I have every right to talk to your neighbors. You leave right now or I'm calling the police. You leave right now, I'm going to come in here and pound you in the ground. And I said, sir, you go ahead and call the police. I'm not going anywhere. So we went across the street. We went across the street, went in another hallway, and boy, we went up to the top floor, and I believe it was the first or second floor there. We're knocking, a sweet lady answered the door, Hispanic lady, and Angela had the opportunity, while the police were making their way there, to lead this lady to Christ. We walked outside, and guess what? We saw a police officer going up and down the road. And uh, so we quickly ducked in another hallway. <laughs> we came out, and the police officer's parked there. He's got his arm up on the window, and he's looking at us. He does like, he smiles at me. He does this. And I walked over. I said, how you doing officer? He said, oh, I'm doing great. He said, I got a complaint about you. I said, I know you did. I know all about it. I said, did I tell you the guy almost assaulted me? He said, yeah, that guy's called us more times than we could count. He said, what are you doing out here? I said, I'm trying to better the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm a Christian. You just keep on doing what you're doing. Don't worry about that guy. And off he rolled away. In fact, I think we even gave him a track and invited him to church. You know, some as the soul winner, some are going to listen to you and some are going to hate you. Some are going to get saved at the door and never come to church. Others will come to church one, two, three times and you'll never see them again. But occasionally you lead someone to the Lord and you get them to church and you get them baptized and you get them to start being faithful and God begins to produce fruit in their life that's a hundredfold. But you know how it begins? It begins by taking the seed of gospel tracts. And making sure they're on your person all the time. So that when you're at the gas station, the Spirit of God says, Hey, that clerk behind the counter is having a rough day. You can walk up to him and say, Hey, listen, uh, this will be an encouragement to you. There's some Bible verses in there. Why don't you read that? You say, Oh, Pastor, what are they going to think about me? Well, they might think you're a religious kook, but it's all good. You know why? Because there's gospel-changing truth in there. Let them think what they will. That has the chance to save their life. And you're at McDonald's and you go through the drive-thru and the person back there is rude. And you say, you know what? There you go right there. Jesus loves you. You might be having a bad day, but there's some verses to tell you how you can make peace with God. And they may reject it. It's all good. But you cannot pass out the seed if you're not first bearing the seed. Get it. Carry it. Don't only carry gospel tracts. Carry a New Testament with you. And have it in your heart. And have it in your head. Lord, we pray tonight that you would take the message that's been given on persuasion and bearing the seed. And Lord, we know it's you that gives the increase. We know that's you that grows the church. We know it's you that sees folks, uh, 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 their hearts change. But Lord, you use the hammer in your hand and that hammer is us. May we bear the truth. May we bear it 
with great importance. May we bear it on a heart level. May it burden us, the loss around us. May, uh, uh, knowing the terror of the Lord, may we be willing to persuade men. In the weeks to come, as we look at this topic, Lord, would you help us to take it seriously? Would you help us to devote our time and attention to being here? And Lord, may it matter. Lord, do a great work in our hearts tonight. May some come to the altar and commit to be more uh, uh, dutiful with their, this responsibility of bearing the seed and, Lord, learning the Word of God and being zealous and knowledgeable with it. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar